I encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 6 today, uh, verses 1 through 11. 6, uh, 6, 1 through 11 from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, continuing our journey through this Gospel, um, started some time ago, and we're now in chapter 6, making our way through uh, this long but very uh, important book of the Bible here in the New Testament. And so, Uh, There in Luke chapter 6, if you'll find your way there, I want to begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 11. So Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. This is the word of the Lord, beginning here in verse 1. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. He also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to glean from your word that which is profitable and not only instructive, but transformative. God, would you use your word to teach us and to change us? to grow us and to shape us more and more into the image of Christ. Lord, I pray that as we hear from your word this morning, that we would understand it and where it takes us in relationship to Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, there's nothing like a good controversy. We've seen that as we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke. Last week, there was a controversy over uh, fasting, and now we see another controversy over the Sabbath. In fact, there are two Sabbath controversies, and we're just, we're, we're just a people that like controversy. And typically, we don't have to look very far to find a good controversy. We, we have a good controversy in many of our homes today. Uh, that controversy surrounds the issue of toilet paper. Which way does the toilet paper unroll? Are you one of those that prefer it over and out? Or are you one of those that prefer it over and in? I guess today we're even assuming you have toilet paper to have this discussion over. But this can be a serious point of contention for many families. So the question is, is there a right way? Is there a proper way? And in fact, there is. According to an 1891 patent for the toilet paper roll, the patent reads that the end of the roll should be hanging off the exterior. So you would think that that would settle it once and for all. In fact, it's over and out the way it should have been, is the way it was designed. Controversy ended. But sadly, 
some will not be satisfied, and they will continue practicing toilet paper positioning according to their own rules and perspectives. Some won't even hang it at all. They'll just simply stack it on the closest place nearby. And on and on the controversy goes. Well, as we think about controversy, obviously, we come to a very important one here in the scripture. Toilet paper controversy aside, that's not very important. But we do come to an important one here. And it has to do with something very central to Jewish life and culture and custom. It was a controversy surrounding the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was a day in practice which was central to their life uh, there in Judaism. It was an important uh, commandment. It was the fourth commandment, but there was much more at stake than just the commandment itself. We see here on two particular Sabbaths, Jesus and his disciples, according to the Pharisees, violate the Sabbath. But while their anger was being expressed over alleged Sabbath breaking, I'm going to argue, and I think the Bible argues here, the issue really didn't have so much to do with the Sabbath as much as it did with authority. The Sabbath controversy was really a controversy not over the fourth commandment. It was really a controversy over authority. Who had the right authority? And as we wade into this controversy this morning, we see that Jesus' authority, the authority of Christ, is the central issue at hand. In fact, we're going to see several particular things about his authority. We're going to see, first of all, his authority questioned, second, his authority asserted, and third, his authority rejected. So let's walk through this passage together. Let's begin with Jesus' authority questioned. We have, in these 11 verses, two scenes on two different Sabbaths. In both cases, Jesus seems to, to push against the customs of the day. According to the Pharisees, he and his disciples had violated, had broken the Sabbath, and needed to be accountable. In the first account, we have Jesus and his disciples walking through a grain field on a Sabbath day. And as they're making their way through a grain field, the disciples happen to pluck some of the grain and crush it in their hands for a, perhaps an afternoon snack, and they eat it. Now, that wasn't so strange. I mean, it seems, may sound strange in our day and time today, but it wasn't so strange for that day. In fact, the Lord had made accommodation for that kind of practice. If you were to read Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25, it says, If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you should not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. There, there was, in fact, accommodation made for this. So if you were on an afternoon walk or you were making your way from one point to another and you happened to cut through a neighbor's field, the Lord says, even in Deuteronomy, that you could pluck some of the grain and eat it. You just couldn't take a, a, a sickle to it and harvest the grain. You could certainly just pluck off, pluck off some of the heads. But the problem here was that it happened to be on a Sabbath day. A Sabbath day, and the, apparently the Pharisee patrol was out in full force. It's interesting that the Pharisees saw what happened because they even had rules where you couldn't take more than 3,000 steps on a Sabbath day. So I don't know if they had like a chain of Pharisees kind of out and about that day, kind of watching the disciples, or if they had a drone kind of hovering over. Who knows what was going on? But they were out. They saw what had taken place, and they accused them of violating the Sabbath, the fourth commandment. In fact, if you were to go to that uh, chapter, or that commandment there in Exodus chapter 20. 
we find uh, very clearly there the, the reference to the Sabbath day. And this is how it reads uh, there in Exodus chapter 20, beginning of verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And that's what we have in reference to the Sabbath commandment. There are six days you work, one day you don't. You rest. You, you, you refrain from that kind of work so that you can be renewed and refreshed. It was a gift that God had given his people. But the Pharisees had come along and they had provided what they would deem helpful commentary on the Sabbath day. They had come up with a list of rules known as the 40 less one. 39 additional regulations that you couldn't, that you were not allowed to do on the Sabbath day. They were things such as sowing and plowing and reaping and threshing and winnowing, sifting, grinding, kneading, baking. They even regulated the number of steps, as I said earlier, that one could take. It was a very strict rule set that they had come up with on the Sabbath. And according to them, with these additional rules in place, the Pharisees accused the disciples of violating the Sabbath. Verse 2, some of the Pharisees said, why, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Not lawful. This word lawful points to the legality of the matter from the Pharisees' viewpoint. This was a serious matter. This is now the second confrontation. We know from last week that Jesus was confronted over the issue of fasting, why he was celebrating, why he's eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners when other disciples fast and focus on these important fasts. But now things are a bit ramped up, a bit more ramped up. They're upset because in their mind, Jesus and the disciples had broken the Sabbath. But I think in reality, it goes a bit deeper than that. I think they're upset that they've broken the Sabbath in their mind, but they're also upset that Jesus wasn't yielding to their rules and expectations. Was it that they were truly angry that they had broken the fourth commandment? Or was it that they were really upset because they had broken what the Pharisees had deemed improper? See, he wasn't, according to the way we understand this passage, Jesus and his disciples wasn't, they weren't operating according to the standard of the Pharisees. At the end of the day, the Pharisees were more concerned with their rules than they were with the presence and priority of Jesus. You see, before we take the Pharisees to task, we need to consider that even though it certainly looks different in our context, we too can easily become much more fascinated with rules than we are with Jesus. You see, the, the Pharisees didn't apply the same weight to all of the laws. They would conveniently ignore and not look at certain laws. For example, uh, they were known to be lovers of money. They, they would break the 10th commandment in coveting. Luke 16 verse 14 talks about how they did so. Uh, there were plenty of other clear commands in the Bible that they were happy to overlook. But here on the Sabbath, they wouldn't. In fact, they had added to the regulations of how to, how to keep the Sabbath. 
Friends, I think it's just a good warning and reminder to us all that Christians are even good at creating additional rules and regulations, and we can become so committed to the additional rules and regulations that we lose sight of Jesus entirely. Legalism is a real threat to the church. It's a problem when we become so fascinated with the rules. Even we become so fascinated with clear commands in the Scripture that we misunderstand their point and we over-apply or we seek to hold tight to something that has now, in, in this situation, certainly from an old covenant to new covenant, um, had new light shined upon it. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Legalism is a truth that J.C. Ryle, great Anglican bishop, said, it is a bad symptom of anyone's state of soul when he begins to put secondary things in religion in the first place and the first things in the second place. Friends, I just ask you this morning, how are you tempted to focus on regulations and rules more so than you are Christ? How are you tempted to focus more on regulations, more on rules, more on law than you are the person and work of Jesus? I'm not saying that there aren't commandments that we should be keeping. There certainly are. I'm not saying that uh, that, that, that there aren't uh, things that we're called to, to do and not do in the Scripture. There certainly are. But friends, how are we tempted to even elevate certain standards well above and beyond their intents? Certain standards of holiness that we will elevate when the Bible doesn't elevate them like that at all. How are you tempted to do that? I think we all are in some way. That's exactly the problem of the Pharisees, they, they didn't see Jesus for who he was, and they were more fascinated by regulating the law according to their own standards and traditions than they were with seeing Jesus. Therefore, they questioned him. They questioned him, and they were actually, at the end of the day, not just questioning his violation, they were questioning his authority. But we see Jesus responds to their complaint, and as he responds to their complaint, he does so in a way where he asserts his own authority. He clarifies that, in fact, he does have authority. So he leads us to the second point, Jesus' authority asserted. He responds to their question. And as he does this, we're going to see several ways that he asserts his authority on both occasions, both in the, in the confrontation with the disciples walking through the grain and plucking the heads of grain, and with the man who was healed, the, the man with the withered hand who was healed on a Sabbath day. First of all, we see... Jesus asserts his authority by pointing to scriptural authority. As soon as the Pharisees call them out, verse 2, are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Jesus responds with an important little phrase. Look at verse 3. And Jesus answered them, have you not read? Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's, he's not referring to tradition or to regulations, further regulations. He's referring to biblical, a biblical account in the Old Testament where David, in 1 Samuel, you can read about this account, where David and some of the men, David was on the run from Saul. He had some men with him, and, and they were on the run, and, and they were seeking safety, and they arrived uh, to uh, this place called Nob. And there in 1 Samuel chapter 21, 
in the first seven verses, he arrives and he enters the tabernacle and it's there where he and his men are given the showbread, the bread of presence to eat. And we know that the bread of presence, if you go back and read in Leviticus, it explains it, uh, where this is bread that included 12 loaves replaced weekly and it was put on the table in the holy place and it could only be eaten by the priest. So Jesus refers back to this bread, bread that was only reserved for the priests in the holy place, how David and his men were given that bread when they were on the run and they needed food to eat. So what Jesus does here is he now puts the Pharisees in a dilemma. If the Pharisees are right about Jesus and his disciples, then David and his men were guilty as well, even though the Old Testament never condemns them. So if they condemn Jesus and his disciples, Jesus is saying, then you also must include David and his men as being guilty of transgressing the law as well. And obviously, the Pharisees are put into a dilemma. They would have very much known this account. They would have very much known about David and, and, and this situation. And Jesus is pointing out that they would have known about it, but they misunderstood it or they mis, misunderstood exactly what was going on. It's a sad indictment here. It's a sad indictment to the Pharisees that they were more committed to their own authority than they were biblical authority, but not Jesus. He had authority, but that authority, you need to understand, was an authority that would not contradict the Scripture's authority. It was, a, it was an authority that, that was complementary of that which we find in the Bible. What the Pharisees had done is they had elevated themselves over and above the scriptures as if they were the ones who were in authority. And Jesus comes along and even just in the subtle way of saying, have you not read? He's pushing them back to show that there's an authority that they need to rely upon and it's not themselves and it's not their list of rules and regulations that they had added to the scriptures. Sad indictment. In fact, his understanding and practice of the Sabbath was driven by the Old Testament, not by the Pharisees. Jesus understood that the letter of the law did not prohibit people's basic needs from being met. So in David's example, as Jesus refers back to David's example, he shows us the, the true intent of the law, even referring to the Sabbath. The, the intent of the Sabbath was not to restrict serving those who were in need. It was to be a blessing to God's people to enjoy. The Sabbath was never intended to be a burden. And what the Pharisees had done is that they had made it a dreaded burden. Can you imagine living and, and, and walking through a particular Sabbath day uh, in, in, in this culture, in this day and time, where it was so regulated? I mean, the, you just might as well just sit still all day. Uh, it, was, it was a miserable experience, and that's not God's intent at all. God's intent was that it would serve and benefit us in a good way. Um, so David's example here shows us what the tr law truly intended. It was to be a blessing. Somehow, though, the Sabbath had become this rigid and miserable experience. And Jesus simply looks back at the Bible and says, I think you missed the point of the Sabbath. I think you missed the entire point of it. So what we also see when Jesus does this is, is the arrival of Jesus now begins to shed a new light upon the law. You, you see this, this transition now of old covenant now to the new covenant. He's, he's establishing his authority to be the one to whom the law pointed to. And, and as the one who the law pointed to, he now had authority over that. 
He's establishing this truth. Important to be reminded here. I think Jesus shows us this, that it's important that we need to to let the Bible inform our practices, not man-made rules. That's exactly what he does just by saying, have you not read? And he points back to an Old Testament text, not to some Jewish tradition. Have you not read? Again, it's, it's an important thing. Jeremy hit this last week, and I think he hit it well, talking about the, the reality of continuity and discontinuity between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Uh, there was certainly continuity, but there was discontinuity. Things did change when Jesus came. And we're going to see how that continues to be the case, and the Pharisees are pushing against that pretty hard. So you see that he asserts his authority by pointing to scriptural authority, but number two, he asserts his authority by proclaiming his lordship. I mean, he refers to this Old Testament scene in 1 Samuel, and then verse 5, if that wasn't enough, it's pretty clear here. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I mean, that statement becomes gasoline on an already pretty well-lit dumpster fire. Jesus, if they weren't mad at him now, they were pretty mad at this point. He declares himself to be the Lord of the Sabbath. And as Lord of the Sabbath, it means he rules the Sabbath. He owns it. It's a powerful statement here of authority because he, in essence, is claiming divinity. He's claiming to to own and be the one who rules over the Sabbath. And as the one who rules over the Sabbath, he has the right to interpret it. This meant that Jesus was the one who could actually rescue the Sabbath from the abusive legalism of the Pharisees and interpret its true purpose and intent. As some would say, something greater than the Sabbath was now present. Mark's gospel, if you were to read Mark's account, he elaborates further on the fact that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was a gift given to serve us for our good. And the Pharisees had twisted that all around. See, the Pharisees... It had been serving the law, but God intended the law to serve us. The Sabbath in particular was given to be a blessing to keep people from overwork, to keep people from the idolatry of work, to, to give God's people a full day of rest and refreshment, even to have their souls refreshed as they worshiped the Lord. But instead, the Pharisees had become lords of the Sabbath themselves, seeking to regulate its practice. And now Jesus steps in and says, actually, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I'm Lord of the Sabbath, and I'm the one who will say what its intent is. One of the problems that we see all throughout the Scripture in the New Testament with the Pharisees is that in their regulating of the law, in their their approach to the law, they had wrongly portrayed the law as some means of righteousness, as if one could be made right by keeping these rules long as you're in step with these rules and regulations, you are on a right path before God. That would be, have been their approach. Well, the problem is we know that that's not at all the case. They, they, they had taken the law's demands and increased the burden by adding additional commands. You see Jesus' rebuke of them in Matthew chapter 23, verse 4. He refers to the Pharisees. He says, they tie up burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. In essence, they were hypocrites because they would say, you've got to do all these things, but we're not going to follow the same way. 
Friends, we know the problem is this. The law was never intended to rescue us. In fact, it can't. We all have failed at keeping the law. To be guilty of one violation is to break them all, the scripture tells us. And this is exactly why Jesus came. The gospel comes and and announces that you must not look to the old wine for hope and rescue. It's the new that will save. We must quit looking to the law for redemption and hope, but we rather should look to the one who came to fulfill the law. He perfectly fulfills the law and he paid the penalty that the law demands for lawbreakers. That's the hope of the gospel. Jesus came to do that. We're not saved by keeping some standard of regulation. If we've got enough boxes checked on the Sabbath commandment that somehow we'll be righteous before God, none of us can keep the law. In fact, it was never intended to redeem. It was only intended to expose the fact that we can't earn righteousness before a holy God. It drives us to put our hope in the one who can rescue us and redeem us. And that is only through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if you're watching this and, and, and you're not following Jesus, that is your hope, friend. Your, your hope is not to be bound in some list of rules and regulations that if you could just do enough things, if you could just be obedient enough, if you could just obey enough Sabbaths or, or enough commandments that maybe God would somehow welcome you into his kingdom. That's not the truth. That is not the hope that you have. You will miserably fail and no one would make it to heaven if that were the case. But God in his grace has given Christ to come to be our redeemer. He's come to deliver us from the burden of the law that that condemns us. It exposes the reality that we are sinners before a holy God. And Christ comes to redeem and to rescue us out of that. And so your hope would be to put your hope and faith in him, to trust in Jesus, because he is the one who can give you hope. Indeed, the writer of Hebrews tells us that the ultimate Sabbath rest is by resting from a works righteousness and by putting your faith in Christ and entering his rest. That is the true Sabbath rest that we all need and desire. And that is exactly what Christ came to give us. Being Lord of the Sabbath means that Jesus has authority to interpret it, and he does. Not only does he assert his authority by announcing his lordship, he asserts his authority by prioritizing mercy. Look at what Jesus does further. You know, Jesus does seem to indicate here, in the disciples' case especially, but also in the man with the withered hand, that either the law has exceptions at times or can be superseded in certain circumstances, or that the law never intended to exclude people's people's basic needs being met. I think in both cases, you see the focus on basic needs, both in hunger and healing. Hunger of the disciples, the healing of the man with the withered hand. These are both needs and the physical needs. And and in no way, I think what we're seeing here is that Jesus is, is using these examples and showing us that God's law never intended to restrict people's basic needs from being met. It's clear in both cases that that's exactly what happens. In the second scene, in the second example, verses 6 through 11, Jesus enters a local synagogue. And there, as he enters the local synagogue, he, he was teaching, and a man who, whose right hand was withered was present. And, of course, the Pharisees were there. And, you know, as you read the scene here, 
Jesus enters. He begins teaching. The man whose hand was withered was present. In verse 7, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him. You know, they weren't there to worship, right? They were, just, they were there to make sure the rules were going to be kept. It sounds real spiritual, doesn't it? Uh, don't laugh at that because that's exactly how some of people think today. You know, are, are they going to do just the right thing? Or They're not there to meet the Lord and worship the Lord. They're more concerned with how things go instead of who we're focused upon. That's exactly the Pharisees. Scribes and Pharisees watched him to, whether, to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. So Jesus knows exactly what he's dealing with here. It says The text says he knew their thoughts. They didn't have to say a word. He knew exactly what the, what the Pharisees and scribes were thinking. He knew exactly why they were there. He knew exactly what they were after. And so he has the man come forward. He says, come here. And then he asks a question, not to the man, but to those who were there. He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? See that in verse 9. Jesus says this. He poses this question. I want you to think about that question for a moment because as Jesus poses that question, he is in essence giving commentary on the Sabbath. He is he's approaching the Sabbath here from a very relational angle, not a regulation type of approach. It's a relational approach. He's, he's pointing to the fact, listen, it is the Sabbath, but does that mean that we should not do good on the Sabbath? Does that mean that we should ignore people's needs? That we should be more concerned with the regulations and the rules and, and all of these, these lists of do's and don'ts? Is that more important than this person who's suffering? He's approaching it from a very different vantage point than did the Pharisees. In fact, Jesus is even implying in the question that a failure to act would in fact be evil. You see the different approaches, don't you? The Pharisees approach the Sabbath with all sorts of regulations. Jesus approaches it from an angle of mercy. Several things that Jesus says here about the, uh, in this question, he's implying that doing harm to anyone is not lawful. Destroying life is not lawful. It's always the right time to do good and to save life. That's what he's saying as he even poses that question. He's saying it's always the right time. It doesn't matter the day. It doesn't matter the week. It's always the right time to do good and to save life. See, Jesus makes a fundamental statement here about the nature of his own ministry. Mercy and compassion are much more important to the mission of God than ritual and ceremony. I'm not saying that commandments aren't important. They are. Jesus gives us a, a whole lot of things that we're called to do with our lives in obedience to, to him. But what he's saying is that the fundamental nature of his, of his ministry is about mercy and compassion, to, to seeking to, to see lives changed. You see that even in the Old Testament. You can go to Isaiah chapter 58 and 6 through 8 where it talks about fasting. And the Lord says, I don't desire these things. I desire mercy and compassion. Micah 6, 8. A lot of people know this text. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? The Pharisees were none of that. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. See, Jesus didn't come to regulate the law. He came to bring restoration and hope. See, his teaching indicates here that his priority was one of mercy. And when the opportunity existed for him to extend mercy, to show kindness, 
to, to do good, he was going to do so. I think implied in that is, so should we. Even a day of rest should not keep us from doing good. Jesus goes out of his way here to show that doing good and serving others should be a driving priority for all of us. Our worship of God and our proclamation of the gospel should never, re- should never keep us from seeking to do good. It should propel us to do good. And neither are opposed to it. It's not as if, okay, i got to pick between worshiping God and, and proclaiming the gospel or doing good and showing mercy. That's not at all. Uh, the Pharisees got, got entrapped in that kind of mindset. It's not one or the other. It's, yes, let's worship the Lord. Let's, let's focus on the proclamation of the gospel. But let us, let us not see that these things are in competition from doing good to those who are in need. Neither are opposed. It's not keep Sabbath regulations or do good. It's understand what the Sabbath was intended for and do good whenever you have the opportunity. His response highlights what the mission of Jesus was focused on. He didn't come to bring additional rules and regulations He came to give grace and mercy to sinners. That is why he came. And I think the sad reality for us is that we often can fall into the same trap if we're not careful. We can often use religious excuses for not extending mercy to those who are in need. We can use religious excuses for not striving to do good. We can say spiritual sounding things like we're only called to preach the gospel and ignore people who are truly in need. And it's not one or the other. Yes, we must. That is our priority, to proclaim the gospel, to to be invested in in gospel ministry and mission. But it doesn't mean that we do it at the expense of those who may be suffering. It's a sad reality when we use religious excuses for not extending mercy and seeking to do good. God's law was never intended, never written to restrict mercy and kindness from being practiced. Well, the Pharisees, of course... Didn't have much of a response. Verse 10, and after looking around at them, he said to them, or said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and the hand was restored. But they, the Pharisees and scribes, were filled with fury. Can you imagine that? A man who had been suffering for so long, immediately and instantly healed, and they're upset furious that this could have happened on the Sabbath. You see see where their disconnect was. They're filled with fury. And that leads us right to the third point, that Jesus' authority was rejected. We're told the Pharisees were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. You see, the new wine of the gospel was, was being served right before them. and The Pharisees wanted nothing of it. They wanted nothing of it. They weren't willing to abandon their system. They weren't weren't willing to abandon their own approach to righteousness and bow to the Lord. Jesus refers to it here as their hardness of heart. That their hearts were hardened. He knew their thoughts. He knew their hearts. It's a sad indictment because of who they were, and how they responded. Friends, I think this is the reality of so many in the world today. There are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who embrace the authority of Jesus 
yield their lives to his authority, see him as the Lord over all, including Lord of the Sabbath? Or there are those who continue in their own way. They continue to seek their own authority. Or they may yield to some other authority except Christ. And there are only two kinds. Either your heart has been opened to the glories and beauty of Christ or it remains hardened against him. Jesus poses a threat. He's threatening. He poses a threat to our personal autonomy, to our structural systems, our religious systems that we have built up and and sought to, to follow. He's a threat to those things. Either you serve them, yourself, or you serve him. Friends, the sad thing is that we we often don't have to look outside the walls of the church to see that. The Pharisee is alive and well today. Judaism was, just think about this, Judaism was a close cousin to Christianity, and yet the Pharisees were so far from seeing the gospel right in front of them. They were so far from seeing the truth. How much more for those who stand far removed from any any semblance of biblical truth? biblical truth. So many refuse to follow Jesus because of what they will have to give up. And it's true. Jesus calls us to abandon our personal autonomy. It is true that Jesus calls us to release from ourselves from other authorities in our lives that we would cling to him as our only hope and our only authority, which then informs how we relate to other authorities. You see, the new wine that Jesus brought came with a newfound authority. I think the question we can ask at the end of a passage like this is, is simple. As we think about this and, you know, we, we want to be critical of the Pharisee, we should look in, in our own lives, in our own hearts. Are we more committed to religious regulation and religious ritual than we are Christ? Now you may boast in the fact that you're not committed to any sort of religious system. Maybe you're a skeptic. Maybe you, maybe you think, well, I don't have to worry about any of that because I'm not committed to anything. But friend, in fact, you are. You may not think you are. We're all committed to something. We all yield to some authority. It may be ourselves or maybe something else. It's either that or Christ. Let this passage serve for us all as a good warning, as a reminder for the religious and those who think they aren't, that there is one authority, and that is in Jesus Christ. See, this controversy was not so much about a practice as much as it was about a person. The Pharisees refused to see it. Don't fall into the same hardness of heart that they did. And see Jesus for who he is. He is the one to whom we are called to give account. He is the one who is Lord. He is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the one who reigns supreme. He is the one that came and gave his life and was raised on the third day to rescue us from our sin. He is the one who's promised to come again and he will reign eternally. He is the one to whom all things will one day bow the knee. We will all bow the knee and confess him as Lord. And let's not reject his authority. Let's see it for what it is. Let's rejoice that he is in fact Lord, and let's give our lives to him all our days. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for 
showing us from your word today the truth of who Jesus is. Father, we thank you that you help us see what we need to see, that you, you confront us when we may have been yielding to other authorities in our lives and you show us who the true authority is. Father, would you be at work in us to help us to cling more and more firmly to Jesus? As Christians, Lord, would you help us to rejoice in the fact that Jesus is our authority and that we would continue to follow him, that we would continue to see him for who he is and we would rejoice in his good work, that we would follow in his ways, Lord, that we would prioritize the things that he prioritized, that we would see the benefit of and the focus and priority of mercy and grace. Father, would you keep us from being overly fascinated with extra rules and regulations that we lose sight entirely of Jesus? And Father, if we've done that, would you forgive us and would you call us back to seeing Christ and following him for who he is? Father, it may be that some are, they've not trusted in Christ. God, would you work in their hearts even now to convict them and show them their only hope is, is Jesus? that they would abandon all other forms of authority and, and that they would commit their lives to him. Father, thank you for being our hope and our confidence. Thank you for sending Jesus to be our Lord and our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.